What's up, Harway family? Thanks for tuning in. You are in for a very special treat today. Gabby is going to be leading us in Centering Prayer, and then Brendan Eldam is going to take us on an incredible experience, journeying through his story and giving us some insights so that we can learn how to own ours. I want to also mention our circles of trust. Every Wednesday, we are getting together at K Rico Coffee in Hollywood. Circles of trust are a way for people to come together and connect within a safe space, no judgment zone. Just share your story, share what you're struggling with and going through in your life. And we get to stand in solidarity with one another, support one another through that process. So I hope to see you. Last but not least, there's so many of you that ask, how can I help? I can't show up on Sunday mornings, but I still want to be connected to Heartway. I watch the YouTubes. I listen to the podcast. How can I help? You can give. Heartwaychurch.com slash give. Become a recurring giver or give a one-time donation. Whatever it is that God moves your heart to do, all of those funds will be utilized to help us continue to further this vision of helping people discover themselves in God and transform the world through love. Thanks again. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Hello. Hello. I feel like we have some cool Brendan friends here today that I have. All right. <laughs> See some cool dancing friends here. But uh, so is anyone into zodiac signs? Yes. Okay. So I'm a Gemini. Okay. Either love us or hate us. I know. Um, but I've like realized recently that I am surrounded by Virgos and I am not sure what that means. So I need, <laughs> I need one of you guys to tell me at the end if I need to leave these people or if this is a good thing. <laughs> That's a good thing. I think so too. So we have two amazing Virgos that it was their birthday. One of them, it's his birthday today, Mr. Ryan Howard. And our pastor of Pump over here was on Tuesday, Danny Prada. Now, I need you guys to help me because I, don't, I have a nice meditation song, but Talon will tell you that my singing voice is not it. But will you guys all sing happy birthday with me for our two awesome servant leaders here? Yes? All right. Happy birthday to you. Stand up, guys. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Ryan and Danny. Happy birthday to you. We love you guys so much. There's really not much that we could do without the leaders that we have here in the community that we have. And it's just so special for, for me to be able to experience these two guys. They're genuinely my brothers. One's a little more protective than the other one. <laughs> this one will kind of just be like, oh, go do your thing, but Ryan, it'll hurt somebody. <laughs> but I'm very lucky to have them in my life, and I know all of you guys are also. And of course, always on time, I thought, what am I going to share today? I was like, just gratitude. And we bring out the gratitude cards today, and that's really what I want us to just think about, is just being grateful. Sometimes we feel that we have to try really hard or think really hard, what am I grateful for? We can just be grateful for our breath. We can just be grateful for this very moment that we're sharing, for the life that we have, for the friends, for the family, for the love. I mean, just literally being right here makes me so grateful and I hope it makes you grateful too. So I'm gonna guide you in something very simple today, just a little breathing exercise. So I want you to find a comfortable seated position. Make sure your spine is nice and long. And because I want us to receive today, let's place the palms up on our legs. Allow the eyes to close so that there's no distractions. You wanna go deep within yourself. And let's begin by taking some deep breaths. Slowly inhaling, nice and big, and then gently exhaling, releasing. Again, slowly inhaling, nice and big, and gently exhaling, releasing. Every time you inhale, think about creating space within yourself. 
And as you exhale, you sink deeper within yourself. So we expand with the inhale. Feel the belly expand as you inhale. And as you exhale, allow the belly button to go towards the spine. Allow the shoulders to come down a little bit more. Unclench the jaw. Start to relax all the muscles within the body. Let's release all the tensions that we hold. Start to let go of the past by bringing our awareness to our breath to this very moment. Let's take a deep inhale, nice and big. And as we exhale, we let go of all that is no longer serving to us. As we inhale, we bring forgiveness into our heart. And as we exhale, we release the need to hold on or to feel anger or sadness. As we inhale, we accept love into our being. And as we exhale, we release anything that is not love. As we inhale, we experience all the peace in ourselves and as we exhale we let go of any tension any anxious feelings when we inhale we feel safe protected and guided and as we exhale we know that it's because God is right here with us continue this breathing Allow each breath to expand you a little bit more. Allow, allow every exhale to take you deeper within yourself. When we go deep within ourselves, we move from the mind. We move from the ego to our center, our core, that that exact connection and alignment to God and His energy. Let's connect now with the deepest essence of your being, the purest energy that is within yourself. This energy makes no mistakes. It holds no anger, no fear, no doubts. It experiences love, peace, and tranquility. It acknowledges and knows the power within itself, for it is connected to the divine at all times. The essence of your being is joy and love, bliss, and simplicity. We let go of the need to understand all that is happening. And we fall into the arms of God. Within his embrace, we know that all is well and that all will be well. We trust in his guidance, his protection, and his love. With a deep inhale, we acknowledge that we are not alone. We are always connected. And as we exhale, we smile knowing this truth, knowing that God is always with us, loving us, guiding us. The more we move away from the mind, the more we release the need to conceptualize God, the more you will be able to experience all of his beauty, all of the power and energy that he has for you.
His love is not far from you, but it is not found in your mind. Dig deep within your heart. Allow yourself to fall deep into his love. We take another deep inhale, nice and big, really inhale. Vocal. Let's bring our left hand to our hearts and our right hands to our bellies. Let's take a moment to feel the heart beating, reminding yourself that you are alive. Now as you inhale, feel the belly expand. And as you exhale with a gentle smile, you remind yourself that you have returned home. You are home within God's love, His embrace. You are safe, you are whole, you are forgiven, and you are always loved. My beautiful friends, just take a moment to notice how you're breathing. Allow this peace to stay with you throughout your days. As you gently bring the awareness back in, release the hands, take a gentle inhale. And when you're ready, exhale and gently blink open your eyes. My friends, may peace and love always be with you. Amen, my friends. I love you all so much. Morning, Hartway. How we feeling? <laughs> feeling good. Ooh, it's been a while since I've been up here, you know, so it's a little surreal. Uh, before I even jump into anything, uh, I just have to say, just being around again here at Hartway for the last couple months, the growth here, man, it is just really beautiful to see what this family is doing. Seriously. There's a, there's a lot of individuals that like first started coming to Hartway and now they're like on stage speaking and sharing messages and just changing people's lives. Let me tell you, if you have held a microphone and you've been on the stage, I respect you straight up. It's not easy to do that. I respect you and I love you guys and you guys inspire me. So thank you so much for allowing me to share this moment with all you guys. And my big bro, Pastor Pump, Danny, let me tell you, I'm, I'm happy for you, man. I really am. Uh, the commitment that you have here at, at Heartway and for this family, and also just uh, your heart, how you always share it, and it's so honest and real, and you give us an open platform to be able to express our spirituality, even when we have doubts. So I'm really happy what this has turned out to be, and I'm, I'm, I'm happy for you. So thank you, Danny. All right. Let me get a little sip of my coffee. Coffee, as I would say. What's the creamer, by the way? It's fantastic. It's so good. All right, so for those of you that don't know who I am, my name is Brendan, full name Brendan Eldon Villanueva Jansen Byrne. Got one of those Spanish names, those long Spanish names, right? And that's because I'm Filipino. I was born in the Philippines. I know that makes no sense to most of you, so let me explain. Uh, a couple of years ago, maybe back in like, I don't know, the 1500s, there was this, um, this guy, Ferdinand Magellan. And he was traveling the world, and he was just kind of like sightseeing on vacation, and he bumps into these islands in the Philippines. 
so, you know, he goes there and he invades. I mean, he invite, invites his friends. He, Spain comes over. And they're hanging out for a bit, like 300 years or so, and they bring their culture, their food, their music, and their names. And that's why a big part of my name is very, very Spanish. But at the same time, my name is also very multicultural. And the reason it's multicultural, I'm a very culturally confused person. First off, I look Asian. I am the worst Asian you'll ever meet. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. Yeah, my friends know. Um, But that's because I am adopted. Now, luckily for me, I was uh, fortunate enough to be able to be adopted alongside my two blood relatives, my two sisters, they're my actual sisters. It was like a three-for-one deal in the Philippines in the 1980s. <laughs> so they bought us, they adopted us, sorry, uh, they adopted us. And it was, uh, you know, a really great childhood, I have to say. Um, my father, originally he's from Carlo, Ireland. Or- Ireland. Or- How do you do it? Ireland. That's how he would say, Oi, Brendan. I don't care. I'm so bad. Oi, Ireland. That's how he would, he would never talk to me like that, but his brothers, I never knew what he was talking about, whatever he's saying. Uh, my mother's from Queens. Yeah, New York. And uh, that's my American side. So there's like Asian American, American Asian, or as I like to put it, Amazian. Um, and for me, that is a big part of like, who I am. There's a lot to do, a lot of different this and that and country and whatever. Uh, and that's a long introduction. I totally understand that. But I did that for a reason, simply because that's what the rest of this morning is going to be. A lot of ADD random facts I just put together. I don't know if it makes sense in context, but hopefully it does. So uh, it's going to be a lot of that. And I have a lot that I want to say, like a lot. However, I don't have a lot of time on the stage. My time on the stage is a lot like me. It's very um, limited. Hey, hey, I heard that. <laughs> I heard that. I don't like to say that I'm short. I say that I'm down to earth. (laughs) But before we dive in, uh, I just have to say, man, we're here at Hartway. And Hartway is a really special place. Uh, To me, it is radical. It's the most practical approach to spirituality. At the same time, it's the most progressive. I've been to a lot of different places in the U.S. and around the world, too. What we're doing, I don't even know if you guys feel it, if you know it, there's no other place like it. And I'm really proud to be a part of this place. Uh, I'm really proud also, uh, as far as my family coming to this place, it's a special place to my family too. Um, this is the house in 2019. Uh, Pastor Danny ordained me in 2019, and that was a blessing, a really great moment for me. Um, yes. Now, unfortunately, uh, life circumstances happened, and I wasn't able to fulfill that calling the way that at least I planned it. Um, And that was probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to do, which was to step down and to walk away from something that meant a lot to me that I worked really hard at. And that was really tough. And I also understand for you, Danny, too, that was was hard, too. And we've talked about this, um, to pour so much into an individual and for things not to turn out the way that we planned it to. And I can stand up here and I can explain the story and I can, you know, try to apologize to all of you. Uh, But my hope today is that I could just share my heart, just be real and just be honest with you guys and... uh, share a little bit of my story, you know, because at the end of the day, our story is all that we really, we really have, right? Money, material, possessions, all those things, eventually they go away, but our story, really, that's the only thing that, that's eternal. You drop that into an ocean, it creates ripples, and it touches peoples and lives and generations you'll never meet. Our story, it's all that we really have. Your story, my story, our story. It's like what the song Ice Ice Baby is to Vanilla Ice, it's all he has, right? <laughs> It's just all that we really have. (laughs) As they say in the theater, because I'm an actor, uh, as they say in the theater, you don't go to the movies to see a character. You go to the movies to see yourself. Creative storytelling is a passion of mine. It's something that I really love to do, whether it's in the movies, whether it's on stage, whether it's just sitting down reading a book with my son, storytelling. And when you think about it, storytelling is like one of the oldest traditions in the world, the oldest tradition. It's, it's the crazy person around the fire just telling the story of the day, right? It's that person with the torch in the cave, and they're just drawing characters and putting it up, telling the story of their day, right? It's the oldest tradition in the world. We do it all the time. How was your day? It was great. Let me tell you about Frank, right? We just talk about it all the time. That's what it is. Think about how storytelling and its origins would have been, right? They're in the cave, and they're just waiting for someone to come home with the food because they're really hungry, and they see him in the distance, and they're like, oh, it's Father. And Father comes in. He's like, Father. I don't know why. It just sounds like that's how they would talk. Father, how was the day? 
Oh, it was a, it was a day, son. Yeah, it was a day. I mean, we started pretty early. We went out, you know, tried to get a jump on it, but, uh, you know, the huge traffic on A26. And, uh, you know, we're out, and, and we're going for the hunt. And I look at my sundial. It's pretty early. And then all of a sudden, I look around, and it starts getting really dark. I don't understand why it's getting dark. I don't, I don't, I don't really get it. It's really early. And then I look back behind me, and there's like this prehistoric mon- monster right behind me. I don't know what I should be doing. So, and I, I got Tommy and Billy. They're family, but they're a little crazy. I don't know how we're related, but we are. And I look back, and he's just like drooling over us. You know, in that moment, I realized we weren't on the hunt. We were the ones being hunted. Right? And I look back, and he's drooling around me, and he's like one of those prehistoric monsters that are going to leave as spiritual books in the, in the future, right? I don't know what I'd do. So I just forest gump it. I book it. I just start running. I'm going. And I'm running. I'm running. I look back, and then Tommy and Billy are nowhere to be found. I'm like, oh my gosh, Tommy. And you know, Tommy, Tommy's so lazy. He just nothing. I don't know how we're related. I don't understand this. So I run back. I go to get Tommy. But Tommy, he has that thing when he's like kind of lazy, and he has like that, that pigeon toe in, and then he goes out when he walks. So he walks like this, right? And I just know once he does it, he's definitely going to get eaten. So I go to save him. But then Billy's over here. And I'm like, oh my gosh, Billy. But Billy has this weird thing where he like gets nervous. He freezes and just like, and he tries to scream, but nothing comes out. Right? And now I don't know what to do. Should I save this son? Should I save that son? So I save my favorite son. I go to Tommy. But now I feel really guilty. And then over here, but Billy, all of a sudden, he just does this thing when he's screaming. Now the monster doesn't know exactly what he is. Is he human? Is he a sorcerer? Is he a monster himself? So he gets freaked out and then he leaves and he's gone. And in a weird way, Billy kind of saved the day. I don't understand how it happened. So I'm kind of proud of him in a weird way. So uh, we were kind of scared. So we went home. And that's why we're home. We have no food. So we have to have leftovers. And that's really it. And that's how a story would be, like back in the day, right? If you think about it, this is the oldest tradition that we have is telling stories, is sharing with one another. Our story, your story, it's the crazy person in the cave. It's the village storyteller. It's the person that nobody really needs, but everybody loves them at dinner parties, right? They're the person that like, Honestly, I don't know where we would be as a human race, because how do you know where you're going if you don't know where you've been? They tell that story, and that's what I'm a part of. That's what anyone that has held a microphone, the responsibility of a microphone and sharing a story, that's what you're a part of. You're a part of this tradition of sharing a story. Or maybe you're an individual that loves cameras, and you take photos or filmmaking or videography and cinematography, and you love putting images together to share the story of your day. Or maybe you just have a passion with your pen and a pad and the relationship between it, and you share ideas and, and your imagination with the world. And an audience gets to be captured inside of that story. And that's why you're here. That's why we're here every single week, right? To hear a story in hopes that it will give us hope that will inspire us. I always say that one thing I love about filmmaking is filmmaking has the ability to move the soul towards action. A good story helps us feel as if we belong. A good story, I would say, reminds me that my life does matter. A good story helps me make sense of all that I'm going through. Makes us feel connected as if we belong. But I'll be honest, for me, Feeling as if I belong is if I'm connected. Man, that's been like a really tough thing for me for a lot of my life. And that's because of the simple detail that I am I'm adopted. Now, adoption is beautiful. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Adoption is beautiful. Being adopted is beautiful. But being a child of adoption comes with a lot of interesting baggage. And you carry that baggage wherever you go. Carry that baggage into the new job, the next relationship, the next stage and phase of your life. You carry it everywhere. And they give you those bags as soon as you're adopted. They give you a receipt and some bags. And inside those bags are just insecurities and identity issues. And you don't know how to carry them. You know how parents always give you that talk? Like, I brought you into this world. I could take you out. <laughs> that always awkward, like, I don't know if you can do that. I never got that. My parents would do this one. I have the receipt. I can return you at any moment. That's what I went through for my whole life. Just feeling I'm going to get returned. I better behave. 
<laughs> but not to get too deep. Whatever, too late. Uh, <laughs> but growing up as an adopted individual, you grow up with a lot of these random, weird internal questions. Why me? Why not me? I mean, why, why wouldn't they want me? Was it, was it my fault? Seriously, like, who, who, who am I? I mean, not every child that's adopted has the same circumstance, same situation, but every child that is adopted, at some point in level, they have this feeling of displacement, right? Disconnected from their roots. It's like trees in Florida during a Category 5 hurricane. <laughs> Just ripped out of the ground and thrown into some random city that's not yours. Every time there's a hurricane, I'm super depressed. I just look around, I look at the trees, I'm like, I get it, bro. <laughs> oh, man. But whenever I fall into those dark and like really weird spaces in my life, and I'm just kind of falling into nothingness, luckily for me, I was raised a little bit different because I was raised a dancer. So whenever I fall into these weird spaces, I just return to the only thing that I really know that is true. I just dance. Now, this love for dance, it started way back where I grew up. Now, I don't know if you can tell, but I'm definitely not raised in South Florida, so I do use turning signals. <laughs> but I was raised in New York. Any New Yorkers in the house? Yeah, where are you from? Where are you from? Of, of course you are. Of course you are. Yeah, <laughs> finally, somebody. Brooklyn. You guys all mentioned cool places. You know where I'm from? Lake Ronkonkoma, dude. <laughs> 631, Suffolk County, Long Island Railroad. What you know? <laughs> and I know what you New Yorkers are thinking. You're like, you're not really from New York. And you're not right, but you're not wrong, okay? I'm just not from like all the cool places, you know? Someone that says they're from Ronkonkoma, but they say they're from New York, that's like somebody saying they're from Miami, but they live in Loxahatchee or something, right? <laughs> and some of you don't even know where that is, and you live here. <laughs> And I get it, because Loxahatchee, you, like, you don't know where it is, you know, and people don't know. You don't want to explain it, and Miami's way easier to say, and it just sounds way cooler anyway, right? So I'm not from New York, but I am from New York, just not all the cool places. I'm from Lake Ronkonkoma, Strathmore Bagels, Little Vincent's Pizza. You guys don't know where that is at all. <laughs> so yes, I, I, am, I am from New York. And, I, and growing up in New York, and the weirdest thing, because I'm from the suburbs, I always felt like I was on the other side of the glass, right? Like there's the city and the cool stuff, and I was on the other side of the glass. I always felt that, and I was just looking in, figuring out what culture was. So for me, I would always have to take the Long Island Railroad to go experience culture, an actual New York lifestyle, right? At least the one that is famous to live. So I would have to get on Ronkonkoma, from Ronkonkoma stop, I think it was Central Islip, Central Islip to Brentwood, Brent went to Hicksville. That's where my mom grew up. Side note, my mom went to high school with Billy Joel. I know, that's crazy. And then he decided to drop out of school and follow his passion. What a weirdo. I know, so <laughs> who does that? So he, uh, Hicksville, and then I think it was, it was Jamaica, Queens. There was a, yeah, something like that, Jamaica, Queens. And then uh, after that, one of the boroughs, whatever. I say all of that because you have to understand something. For me, those train rides, man. Those train rides, that was the, the, the heartbeat of my soul. This is where I was able to experience a bit of culture uh, because where I grew up, man, the weirdest thing is for me, where I grew up, there was really nobody, um, nobody that was into the things that I wanted to be a part of. Um, and what was cool is that for me, all my friends, although I grew up in Long Island, all my friends were out in different boroughs. And that's because my social environment was way different. Because I was raised, as you saw, in and through the hip-hop culture, the underground hip-hop culture. Now, 
Remember, there's four elements of hip-hop, those of you who don't know, so we'll do a little, little culture 101, right? There's, there's MCing, rapping, okay? There's turntablism, DJing, all right? Then there's graffiti, graph artist. And then the culture that raised me, b-boying, right? B-boying, break boy, break girl, as you guys would know, a commercially break dancer, right? And I was a, a competitive break dancer for many years. That's all I did. So I listened to music like Curtis, Curtis Blow. I listened to Curtis Mayfield, Isaac Hayes, James Brown. Get on up, right? I listened to all that. And that was my life for the longest of times. And hip-hop for me, one of its greatest lessons was turning nothing into something. I think that's its greatest contribution to the world, um, is its creative genius. It's learning how to take nothing, what you don't have, and turn it into something. I mean, think about how the culture was created, right? You didn't know how to sing, you would rap or rhyme. You didn't have access to a band, right? So you would just sample records. If you didn't have a drum kit, you would just put on the break of a record and you would dance. It was turning nothing into something. Now, internally, let's be real, adoption is a lot to carry as far as the, the internal struggle that you have. But externally, man, my life was, was fine. My life was good. I had a really good childhood. I grew up in those times, uh, like a lot of you guys, where we actually went outside to play. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> went outside to play, and man, the games and, and, and the sports that we would play, it was, you know, you knew where your friends were because their bikes were parked outside of their friend's house, and that's where you would go and hang out. So you never had to question or text them. Man. And when the lights came on, street lights came on, you knew it was time to go home and have dinner, right? And we played games, man. We played, like, stickball and, and, and manhunt. Is that a thing down here, manhunt? Yeah, we played manhunt, right? We played sports, you know, uh, hockey. Hockey was a big thing for me. Uh, puck, roller, street, ice, uh, baseball, football. I played a lot of sports. Well, I, I played sports up to a certain point in time in my life because something happened between my friends and I. There's a weird thing called um, puberty. Um, <laughs> so all my friends grew up, except for me. Sensitive topic. <laughs> Down to earth. Down to earth. But I was born in the 80s. 80 babies, anyone? Yeah, yeah, yeah late 80s. So I was kind of growing up in the 90s, and then I was inspired artistically by the early 2000s. And that was a good, good time for music, right? Yeah. Hip-hop was all about getting money and getting jiggy, <laughs> right? Radio music was beautiful because it was all sung by church folks that didn't want to sing in church anymore. <laughs> and boy bands, they were getting together and breaking up. It was kind of like when COVID-19 vaccine came into the world. Everyone just went their own separate ways. <laughs> Oh, man. And we were part of like the golden age of so many genres of music in so many ways. And I loved it. And I have to be honest, at the same time, our generation also, we also destroyed the music industry because we stopped buying CDs. And we stopped buying CDs. Why? Because we knew we can download it for free. You know what I'm talking about? Napster, LimeWire, Kazaa, BearShare. Yeah. We were all criminals. Illegally downloading, sharing it with our friends. That was the life. Oh my gosh, that was the best. And one song, downloading one song, right? Oh my gosh, that would take two hours, two hours to download. And God forbid someone picked up the phone during that download. You can say goodbye. Remember that sound? Goodbye. AOL.com, chat rooms, right? Away messages. That was all about that. Freaking landlines. Dial-ups, man. You know, you were talking to your crush, and you sat behind there during home homeroom, so you were just hanging out. You're, you know, oh, let's have a private message. You get in there, you start chatting with her. Everything's going good. You're talking about Stone Cold Steve Austin and Dwayne The Rock Johnson before they got famous, and you just talk. Oh, what was the update on the on Monday Night Raw? And all of a sudden, click goodbye. You're like, yo, mom, get off the phone. I'm in a chat room. End of your love life, man. End of it. But dude, those were the days, right? Those were the days growing up. And it was, it was a good time. And honestly, I had a great childhood, just like a lot of you guys. But internally, man, I still walked around like I was an, like, like emo, man. I still walked around like something was missing because something was missing for me. I didn't have like this connection to the soil like a lot of people did. I mean, I had my sisters, 
But, you know, they grew up in the same circumstance, so it wasn't the same. Literally, I was the only Asian on my block. And it felt a lot what it feels like right now. <laughs> Look around, I'm just saying, just being real. When I played, uh, when we were younger, we played Power Rangers. So, of course, I was always the Yellow Ranger. Without a doubt, that was the lifestyle, man. So you have to understand something. You got to understand, I had a great childhood, but those train rides, man, going out into the city to experience culture, that was, that was it. And the reason for that is because for me, I, didn't, I wasn't raised with my own culture. So I was always seeking cultural connection. True story. I was um, dating this one girl back in high school. Um, you know, I don't want to mention any names, but her name sounds like Veronica. <laughs> and we were dating, we were seeing each other, and everything was good. And then um, she invites me over to her house, you know. I'll try to keep it PG. Uh, she invites me over to her house. I knock on the door, and she's like, hey, come on in. And I'm like, okay. She's like, my parents aren't home. And I was like, okay, all right. <laughs> you know, I'm feeling super confident now. So I walk, she's like, make yourself at home. Take a seat. I find a couch, and I'm like, all right, cool, cool, this is nice. You got a nice place. What do your parents do? This is excellent. Really nice. So she, she leaves the room. So she told me to get comfortable. So I'm just starting, you know, with any teenager that is at his girlfriend's house who, you know, parents aren't home. I start, you know, getting comfortable, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I'm getting comfortable, and she walks into the room, and she's looking at me, and I'm looking at her, and she just says, what are you doing? I said, well, you, um, you told me to, uh, uh, I'm just getting comfortable. You told, uh, that's what you said, right? Uh, no, I mean your shoes. Oh, okay, you want me to take my shoes off? Okay, I can do that. No, don't, not like that. What I mean, why are you wearing your shoes? Why are you wearing your shoes in my house? Oh. I'm in an Asian household. <laughs> I am the worst Asian that you will ever meet. I don't even use chopsticks. And I just found out this recently. My country doesn't even use chopsticks. So I'm like the worst Asian you'll ever meet. So that relationship didn't work out. And you know how she broke up with me? Seriously, this is how she broke up with me. She says, look, my, my father, he just doesn't think you're Asian enough. And that hurt. But when I really think about it, it wasn't her that rejected me. It was her father. So just being another Asian kid seeking approval from an Asian parent felt pretty Asian to me. <laughs> so I felt good in that moment. <laughs> the only Asian in the room gets it. The only <laughs> oh my gosh, man. Yeah, that didn't work out. So yeah, I, I just returned back to the only thing that I knew, which was, which was dance. And I got down and I felt a little bit better. That was the one thing that I can always return back to. And this was my life, like my whole entire life was just feeling like outcasted. I was the best man at my friend's wedding and he marries this Filipino girl, okay? Super cool, super fun, super Asian, right? And he introduces me to her mom. So we're introduced and she's like, hey, best man. He's Filipino too. So in that moment, I'm like trying to talk to her and we're just, and then she starts talking to me in Tagalog. Tagalog, that's the, the language for the Philippines. And she starts speaking and I have no idea what she's freaking saying. And we're going through it and in this moment, I can realize it, man, she's so disappointed that I don't speak my own language. And I could just feel her peeling away at my banana peels, because what I am, yellow on the outside, white and mushy on the inside. <laughs> I'm more like a ripe, like a ripened one, or like borderline rotten, you know, yellow on the outside, white and mushy with some dark spots. <laughs> and the funny part about the whole scenario actually was not necessarily that that happened, it's just how I responded. <laughs> She's talking to me in Tagalog, and the way that I responded, it was just a knee-jerk reaction. I said, no, 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 ma'am, ma lo siento, no hablo Tagalog. <laughs> I, I, I spoke Spanish to her. I'm the worst Asian you'll ever meet. But there's a reason for that. There's a reason I did that. 
That's because although I grew up in New York, I hate snow the same way that O.G. Simpson hates gloves. It just doesn't fit me, right? Like, I hate snow. I mean, look at this. This is tropical skin, right? I love four seasons, but I need 24-7, 365 sun. So I did what I should have did a long time ago. I moved to Miami. Yeah. Actually, it was Broward County, but, you know, no one really knows where that is. And I don't want to explain it. And Miami's just way easier, and it sounds way cooler. But I moved to Florida because I was seeking culture. So I needed it. And Florida has so much culture. But, but culture in Florida is way different than culture up in the tri-state area. And I, this is just thoughts. I don't know if it's true or not. But I think it has to do with the timeline of immigration, honestly. Because up north, families have had years and years to understand how to live away from the homeland. But here, if you're from another country, most likely mom and dad just got here. So the culture here is just so much more closely connected to the homeland for a lot of people, right? It's rich and authentic. And honestly, that's why I like and enjoy and I still live here, because it gives me a sense of culture that I never really had. Now, being here in South Florida for many years, I'll just be honest, all I dated was Latin women. That's all I dated. Before my wife, of course. My wife, I'm married. Uh, she's a Turkish princess, and I love her. Um, any time period before my wife, I consider it the Dark Ages. So this is the Dark Ages. We're just talking about the Dark Ages. All I did was Latin women. I was like a Spanish pilgrim just traveling up and down South America searching for gold. <laughs> and on the tail end of that expedition, I ended up in Hialeah. And in Hialeah, I was dating this one girl. You know, I don't want to put her on a blast. I don't want to mention any names, but I actually don't want to say her name because I'm borderline afraid of her and her entire family. So I'm not going to do it. So we're dating. I'm dating this girl. And I said girl because only little girls can play the games that she played. And we're really connected. <laughs> we're really connected. We vibe really well. And we're, we're close. Until we got too close. And the reason we got too close is because I had to meet her family. So we'd be hanging out at times, dinner parties, you know, conversations. Someone would drop a joke and everyone would be laughing. And I would just be there like, Oh, yeah, that's funny. <laughs> I had no idea what was going on. This is all the time. And it's awkward just for you. It's the same with me. It was awkward. And this was our relationship. Over time, it just was getting awkward and more awkward because I couldn't relate to them and they couldn't relate to me. And you can just tell now how different we actually are. And this became complicated. This became complicated for her, mainly her. I'm used to rejection. All my friends are tall, so I'm used to not making the sports teams. Um, but for her, she was just so afraid to be rejected by her own family and I didn't understand what that was like because I never had cultural expectations put on me. Never had it. So I, I couldn't relate. And there I was, just again, on the other side of the glass with my shoes on. <laughs> and I'm just staring into this room, this room of culture. And I'll never know what it actually feels like to be inside that room. And the truth is, as hard as we tried, we would always have something in between us, no matter what, which is our own insecurities. For me, my, my fear was somebody finding out who I truly am, which is just this little Asian, not-so-American person, really, that is not connected to his homeland and doesn't have any cultural roots and doesn't know who he is. And for her, her fear was leaving her cultural checkbox or being seen with anybody that couldn't identify themselves with that cultural checkbox. And this was tough. And that relationship, of course, it didn't work out. But it rocked me, man. When it, when it, when it didn't work out, it rocked me in ways that I don't think that I was really prepared for. Like, I became really unsure of myself. Really, like, who am I? I didn't, I didn't know, and I started making a lot of bad decisions. I let people down in my life. I let myself down. I mean, I'm not even sure I can say I lost myself because I didn't ever, ever think that I had a hold on myself because I didn't know who self was. And I tried to dance and get back to the only thing I knew true, but I just didn't have it in me. And I fell into like a really dark place for a while. Fast forward, I cleaned myself up. 
I surround myself with positive, positivity, positive people. I'm feeling good. And I, and I promised to myself that I wouldn't be intimate with another female unless I knew that she was the one. And I kept that promise to myself. I didn't see, date anybody. I just threw myself into my work. And I was at this one gig, man. I was just warming up, getting ready. We're doing a breakdance show at the Kravis Center, West Palm Beach, right? Me and my homie, what's up, bro? Cool. We're getting ready. And all of a sudden, this Turkish princess just walks in around the corner. She's working backstage. She's a dancer, too. And I just see her at the corner of my eye. You know, when she was around, just everything felt different. Like the floor felt different, the atmosphere felt different. And I knew something was different here, right? So I gave this one a shot. And, um, you know, all my relationships, they've always had like these weird ups and downs, like, like highs and lows, but it was never neutral. It was either like overstimulating or like we argue way too much. Right? That's a, it's like, but like, I feel like that's what a healthy relationship is when it's neutral, right? Like you can have your highs and you can have your lows, but because you love and respect one another, you allow the relationship to self-regulate, to get back to neutral, and you're okay with just being in this space of nothingness, the boredom, the nothing, whatever, hanging out, and you enjoy, you enjoy that neutral space. I remember one of my first dates with her, I gave her my laundry detergent, all, and I told her, hey girl, I'm gonna give you my all. <laughs> I didn't do the laundry though. But she loves my corny jokes, she loves them. And one thing I love about her is that, oh man, we can have these long conversations, we can read spiritual textbooks and dive into some really random things and have deep conversations about it, and in the same breath, we can complain about how toxic religions can actually be. And we can have that dialogue. And we're so different, like so different. She grew up here in South Florida. I, I was raised in Long Island, New York. She's a choreographer, so she's very structured in a lot of ways. I'm a break dancer, so I'm just very free-spirited. She's OCD, I'm very ADD, <laughs> ODD couple. Um, <laughs> but man, as different as we were, the one commonality that we had was that we were both dancers. So whenever I would fall into those weird, dark spaces within my life, for the first time ever, I didn't have to dance alone. I had a dance partner. And on June 4, 2016, I got to marry the love of my life. My son got me this, by the way, this coffee mug. That's why I have it. Now, before I get into that whole happy ending, I got to be real with you guys. I got to tell you something that went down, and this is me being honest. Um, I knew that I had something special. And this is like way before her and I decided we were going to get really serious. And this is like we were just hanging out, right? But I knew something was, was different with this one, and I, and I didn't want to lose myself, and, and I definitely didn't want to have any baggage carried on, so I, I did the unthinkable. I texted my ex-girlfriend. Now hear me out, hear me out. I knew at this stage in my life I had a lot of baggage that I was carrying around and I just didn't want to carry that baggage and more baggage into the next stage of my life. And honestly, it's not that I wanted things to go back to the way they were with my ex, it's not what I wanted. It's not that I wanted to fix things. I just 
needed dialogue. That's all I needed. Because it's not that I was mad that the relationship ended. I just never knew why. We never talked about it. And if there's one thing you don't do to someone that's adopted, you don't leave them hanging. You don't abandon them, because that's how they felt their whole entire lives. They just felt like they were abandoned. So I, I didn't need to fix anything. I just desperately needed some closure in this conversation. You know, most of our internal pain, when you really think about it, most of our pain that we have, that we carry around, it's not from the words that were said. It's from the words that were never said. The baggage that we actually carry around is just filled with words we wish we could have said or words that we wish we could actually hear. And that's what we carry around with us, and that's where I was. So we met for some cafe con leche, and uh, we're having breakfast, and we're talking. We're having a really good conversation. Things at times would go back to like the past, but I, I wouldn't let it because I gained something that's called self-respect. And I learned, you know, not to put anyone as a priority if they only make you an option. And we're having this conversation, and of course, she drops it. Like, she says, so, she always did that. What happened to us? Oh, I was waiting for that one. What happened to us? You know those moments where you're not sure how you should respond? Do I just keep it real and raw and lay it on them? Or do I just give them the whole, like, look, it's not, it's not you, it's me, right? I don't know which one. So I kind of just made up my own version to that. I didn't say this, this is what I wanted. I made my own version. So what I wanted to say was, no, it's not. It's not you. It's everything about you. <laughs> it's you, it's your lifestyle, it's your family. Yeah. It's your positivity, it annoys me. Um, it's your laziness as a human being to pick up the phone when somebody actually calls you. Yeah. Your optimism actually makes the world a worse place. Yeah. Because, I mean, you're like a dolphin at SeaWorld. You just smile and you put on a good show, but underneath the surface, I know you're miserable. You can't fool me. I'm an actor. I got to put on a mask all the time. But for you, you, smi you smile and you hide behind that smile. So whether it's a mask or a smile, yeah, we're, we're both hiding. The only difference is I'm man enough to admit it. I didn't say any of that, though. I wanted to, but, dude, I, I was prepared because this is the whole reason we met. So she asked me, what happened to us? So I just kept it real. I was honest with her. And I said, I really cared about you. But you were just too scared. I mean, I, I, I would have done anything to make things work. I bought the whole version of Rosetta Stone for you. <laughs> Do you know how many discs are in Rosetta Stone? I mean, if you would have just gave us time, but all those unread text messages, all those unanswered phone calls, that silence. Look, I could, I could deal with things not working out, but I can't deal with silence. And that's the truth. That's who you are. So what happened to us? I was there. You were just too scared to be there. And boom, I dismounted, boom, landed, <laughs> signaled to the judge, ah, I got my moment, I didn't even need closure, because I closed that door, I locked, I swallowed the key, put it down in the body, it was gone, and I just had this moment, and I put on my jacket, popped my collar, and I looked at her, and I said what any true Long Islander would say in that most of iconic moments, I looked at her and I said, nothing else. And then I moonwalked out. <laughs> and I had my moment of closure and I was able to say the things that were on my heart that I've been carrying around me for so long you know love can either inspire you or it can scare the crap out of you and in this moment it just showed me how much I actually could love myself so I returned back to the only thing that I knew to be true, and I started dancing again. But in this weird way, I just had to you know, find my groove again. Like any heartbreak, right? Have you ever seen a vinyl record? A vinyl record has grooves in it. And in that vinyl record, 
there's like this little physical break that's in it, and you'll see it usually in like funk music, soul, or disco. And you'll see in this record that there's this break, and that part of the record, right, that's where the song literally breaks down and rebuilds itself back up. That's where the band cuts out, and you just hear a little bit of nothing and then percussion, and you just hear element by element, it builds itself up. That's called the break of a record. That's why we're break dancers. We dance to the break of a record. And DJs at times, back in the day, when they would be DJing, they couldn't see. They couldn't see where the grooves were in the record. They couldn't find the break of the record. So they would have to feel the groove of the record. That's where you get the term, feel the groove. So they have to feel the groove to find the break of it. And that part of the record is where it broke down and it rebuilt itself back up. And that's how I felt I was. I was always just breaking down and rebuilding myself up and just kind of feeling out and through the dark and just trying to find my groove, trying to feel my groove throughout it. And it, and it was in these moments, in these moments where I realized, man, I, I'm so dishonest with myself. I, I don't even listen to me. Not just like my internal voice, my actual voice. I don't even listen to myself. I'm so concerned with everybody else and what they have to say and what they think. I, I have spent my entire life trying to find myself in other people's stories. Trying to find and discover a sense of self-identity in somebody else's cultural and, th and their life. And never just owning me. Owning my life, owning my story. And here's the thing about that. When it comes to really knowing yourself, when it comes to self-love, you have to own every part of yourself. You have to. The good, the bad, the beautiful, the ugly, the magnificent, even the disgusting. You got to own every part of it. So when it comes to me owning my story, yeah, I didn't grow up with cultural roots. I didn't grow up connected to my homeland. But that's just like anyone that had a different childhood, right? Maybe you grew up without, without a limb or you grew up not having one of the five senses or maybe you grew up without a certain parent not in the house that everybody else had at some point in level whatever your story is you just gotta accept it you just gotta own it because you can't change it you can't change what happened you can't change the past it just is and you may not have what everybody else has that's okay because the sooner that you own it the sooner it stops owning you One of my uh, greatest fears in life, I'm just being honest with you guys, one of my uh, greatest fears in life is failing so hard, like just flat out failing, and I would be forced to let go of my kids. That's one of my greatest fears. It's failing so hard as a parent. And that's real. I carry that. And we all have fears. Like deep fears, deep realities. We all have trauma. We all have pain. We all have baggage that we carry around. Own it. Own it. If there's anything I've learned through hip-hop culture, take nothing and make it into something. So even if you begin with nothing, own it anyways. My whole life, I felt like I was unloved and unwanted. And that's not because I, had, I didn't have parents that didn't love me or a family. It's because when you're adopted, you truly do believe that you're unloved and unwanted because somebody that was supposed to hold you let you go. And that sucks. But if you can just get yourself to a place where you can own that, maybe in that moment, that person, maybe they weren't brave enough to love you, but if you can own your story, if you can own that part, that is the first step in the right direction to loving yourself. So even if you start with nothing and the world is cruel and you feel unwanted and you feel unloved, own it anyways. Own your story. Own every single part of it. 
And if you fall along the way, break down, rebuild, feel the groove, keep dancing to the break of your own record. Because now those breaks, they're part of your story. And you can keep dancing to them no matter what. Own your story, your story, my story. And that's the power of the greatest tradition known to mankind. Creative storytelling. Having the confidence to share that. And when you share your story, you empower others to own their story. And that is the power of the greatest tradition. That is the power of a good story. Yours and mine, our story. The end. Thank you. You guys are absolutely awesome. Thank you so much for just allowing me to share a bit of my soul with you guys and leave that with you. My hope um, after today is that whatever you go through, whatever you experience, own it anyways. Own it and share your story because that is what empowers the world to keep going. Thank you so much, guys. Have a great Sunday. I love you.